Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, we take a deep dive into pedestrian safety. Tucson has a problem on its streets. Until the pandemic hit, the pedestrian death toll had been rising for the last five years, according to the City of Tucson Department of Transportation and Mobility. It's something cities across the country are grappling with, but finding the reasons behind the trend isn't so simple. This show originally aired in November 2019. We're re-airing it this week because traffic safety continues to be a challenge, even during a time when many of us have given up the daily commute. AZPM reporter Nick O'Gara helps us look at the issue through the lens of law enforcement, transportation, urban planning, and history. He talks with people working to understand the situation and find solutions. In the second half of the show, we'll get an update on where things stand now. To start, Nick takes us onto the streets. I'm on a corner of Fort Lowell near First Avenue. The early afternoon sun cuts glare through buildings and across the five lanes of traffic, passing at 40 miles per hour, give or take. There's some construction on the south side of the street. David Smith wants to talk about this intersection. I have a four-year-old kid, and so I'm teaching him, you know, stop and look both ways. Smith owns a shop on this corner. He's been here more than two decades. I just, I worry about it. I worry about it all the time because I, somebody crashed into my building right here. Twice. That's the break in the curb right there. You know, and you just think about the, the danger that you're in, not just when you're crossing the street, when you're walking parallel to the street, people are going to leave the roadway and just nail you, you know, so it's a, it's a scary moment. So what brought us here is this is one of our hotspots. This is one of the locations that is highest in our crash data for pedestrians and overall crashes. That's Tucson Police Captain Diana Duffy. She became the traffic safety coordinator about six months ago, a new position that she said was created in part because of the increasing number of pedestrian deaths on Tucson streets. She says this intersection has a lot of features that make it a hot spot for pedestrian and bicycle crashes. There's a clinic across from us offering methadone treatment and counseling that has people coming and going on foot. You see it across the city at different locations where there's services or you see it at convenience stores, um, things of that nature that bring in a lot of pedestrians. They will tend to cross mid-block because it's the path of least resistance. It's, it's easier than walking a half a mile down to the crosswalk. And so that's what we're seeing across Tucson. Duffy says the clinic reached out to TPD to do something about the road danger to its patients. If you look down the street, there's a crosswalk with a signal one block away. But Captain Duffy says people simply aren't using it. Really, we're trying to address this here, trying to get them to use the crosswalk until the new one's installed, trying to get people to slow down and pay attention in case someone is crossing mid-block. After the interview, I saw at least four people hopscotching the five-lane road at the same time mid-block. Captain Duffy says this intersection is a good starting point to understand a disturbing trend. It's getting more and more deadly to walk around Tucson. This year, pedestrian deaths are down most likely due to the pandemic as fewer cars are on the road. In 2019, 39 pedestrians died on Tucson streets, according to the Tucson Police Department. That's about one fatality every nine days. The data show about a 180% increase in pedestrian deaths in Tucson from 2014 to 2019. This is something the whole country is grappling with. 
A report from the Governor's Highway Safety Association says nationwide pedestrian fatalities went up 35% between 2008 and 2017. Not long before, there had been a decades-long decline. And that's all while riding in cars appears to be becoming safer. A nationwide report says fatalities decreased for nearly every type of vehicle last year, but fatalities increased for pedestrians and cyclists. And while this deadly trend is happening all over, in 2018, Arizona ranked second in per capita pedestrian deaths. Back to Nick O'Gara. Krista Hansen is the lead planner in the Bicycle and Pedestrian Program at the Tucson Department of Transportation. We're seeing an epidemic on our arterial roadways, and those are roadways of speed limits that are 35 miles an hour and higher. They're six lanes and more. To help frame the thinking about the epidemic, she says she likes to remind people that basically everybody walks at some point, usually every day. When you're imagining your grandchild walking on the road, your your friend, your coworker walking, biking, you know, it's recognizing that these are people and we're all trying to get to places that we need to go. And we're going to take probably the quickest route that we can to get there. Well, she says this is a community-wide issue. It does have an oversized effect on lower-resourced groups. Across the country, we see that people who uh, lack access to a vehicle, live in poor areas, are dependent on transit and walking, um, are dying at disproportionate rates compared to um, the rest of the city. And so I think, I definitely would say that it's a social equity issue. Hansen and Tucson Police Captain Duffy are both looking into solutions, and their departments are working to coordinate efforts in education, enforcement, and planning. A big part of figuring out what to do about the problem is trying to understand why it's happening, and they both say it's not easy. I feel like that's that's the major question that across the country people are looking at. I don't know that we have a single why. I Honestly, I wish I could have figured it out. I think it would have made my job a little bit easier. So. Arlie Adkins is an associate professor at the University of Arizona studying transportation systems. He's looking at aspects like design, health, and behavior. He says there don't appear to be simple answers for why streets are getting more dangerous for pedestrians, and that it's probably more useful to think of it as an interaction of different factors. We've seen an increase over the last several years in the amount of driving that's happening. Um, So after almost a decade of a decrease in vehicle miles traveled, um, we're seeing that starting to tick up again. Um, We're also, I think, seeing in some places more people who are biking and walking, that mix can create a more dangerous situation. And he says there can also be an effect on perception of street users as technology improves for vehicles. Because cars generally have gotten safer, um, drivers maybe, they're feeling quite safe and in fact are quite safe. You know, if they, even if they do crash into another car, um, they're, you know, fairly likely to survive. Um, Whereas obviously the pedestrian doesn't have an airbag. Pedestrian deaths are going up, but it's difficult to determine what factors lead to this deadly reality. It could also be that Tucson streets aren't well lit, or that the city doesn't have enough crosswalks in the right places. During the summer months, is it too hot to walk a half mile or a half block to a crosswalk? And then, of course, there are the many-laned, high-speed roadways. Is it simply the consequence of years of car-centric planning? For the next piece of our discussion, Nick O'Gara turned to national expert Peter Norton. Peter Norton is a historian at the University of Virginia who's interested in the interaction of streets 
vehicles, and people. He wrote a book called Fighting Traffic. If you just look at a limited segment of this complicated picture, you can easily conclude that it's a relatively specific problem like distracted pedestrians, for example. But I think you have to step back and look at the the full picture, and it gets more complicated. I asked Norton to break down some of those larger factors. He says some of the discussion is around the growing number of SUVs on the road. A report says the rate of SUV involvement in pedestrian fatalities is increasing faster than it is with passenger cars. If you get hit by a sedan or a, or a compact economy car, you'll probably tumble off the hood and be injured, but okay. If you get hit by an SUV, your chances are a lot worse. So that's a big factor. Another big part of the discussion is distracted driving. We also have a lot more people looking at devices while they're going around on their business. And if a driver does that, they can become lethal very easily before they even know it. Norton says it's important to make distinctions when talking about distraction. A lot of attention has been going to distracted pedestrians. Only I think it's very important to point out that when somebody's walking and looking at their phone, they are not endangering anyone else but themselves. You know, they're not in a position of responsibility the way somebody is who's driving a one-ton vehicle around. There's a good possibility that you're listening to this in your car. Would you consider traveling where you're going right now on foot? What would it look like if you had to get out and walk? Have you ever crossed a street outside of a crosswalk? Do you, as a pedestrian, always follow the rules? The thing is, particularly in sunbelt states, in fast-growing suburban areas, it gets very hard to walk anywhere, especially if you're particular about following all the rules. We're practically isolating anybody who's not in a car. And once you've isolated them, they're kind of forced to improvise. They need to figure out how they're going to get across a street that may not have a crosswalk in either direction for a quarter mile or more. And uh, this makes uh, life for the pedestrian uh, very difficult. Once again, it's not simple. But to get a better understanding, Norton suggests we do the work to distinguish between things that have long been a factor, like visibility, he says, and what might have changed recently, like more SUVs on the road and greater distraction among drivers. So it's a complex interaction. I mean, for a lot of people, the way to stay safe is to stay in a vehicle. This is actually our favorite way of keeping children safe, strangely enough. Um, Children used to be a large, an enormous part of the pedestrian casualty problem, and a lot of parents simply have solved the problem by confining their children inside vehicles when they're going anywhere outside of the home. And that's a life-diminishing thing to do do to a child. That was University of Virginia historian Peter Norton talking with AZPM's Nick O'Gara. This week, we're exploring the reasons behind a dramatic rise in pedestrian deaths on Tucson streets. AZPM reporter Nick O'Gara investigated the trend in 2019 when this show originally aired. We'll get an update on those trends a bit later in the show. As Nick explained last year, the reasons for the increase in deaths are complicated. People I spoke to mentioned lots of factors. They talked about street design and substance abuse. They talked about more driving, more SUVs, maybe more people are walking and increasing distraction, more cell phones. Nobody's ready to put their finger on that one thing and say, this is it. 
The last thing we heard from historian Peter Norton is that for many people, staying safe just means getting into a car. Uh, that's clearly not a solution for people who won't do that or people who can't do that. Tell us a little bit about your reporting. What kinds of data did you dig into? What originally drew me to this was simply looking at publicly available numbers from the city and just noticing that not only is it dangerous for pedestrians, but it's getting worse. Some of the people I talked to described their concern about a certain kind of complacency that maybe some people in the community consider it a given that it's difficult or dangerous to walk in Tucson. So I think in a way, this increase really is a gut check uh, because it's not just the status quo, however disturbing that status quo was. So what kinds of solutions is Tucson working on? So Tucson police, for example, are doing public service announcements. Drivers, not all pedestrians will be this easy to see. Use extra caution when approaching intersections or crosswalks. They're targeting everyone on the road. Pedestrians, be sure to cross at intersections or mark crosswalks when available. Captain Diana Duffy says this is part of a broader campaign, uh, one that she's helping coordinate. So that's one part, education. Both through awareness campaigns, but also with officer interactions on the streets with drivers and pedestrians. So remember, Tucson, whether walking or driving, look out for each other. And she says the other two important elements are enforcement and engineering. The police department has identified high crash corridors for targeted enforcement. And she says it's her job to line up efforts among the different police divisions and work with the Department of Transportation for engineering changes, like lighting or a new crosswalk. Uh, she says that's what they did at the intersection where we started the show. Yeah, that's reflecting what we're trying to do. Um, and in, in working with TDOT and working with specific locations, working together with the community that this isn't just an education or an enforcement issue. So TPD is painting it as sort of a joint community effort. Pedestrians need to pay more attention. Drivers need to pay more attention. The police and transportation departments are prioritizing certain areas, and the police also carry out prioritized enforcement and education. Captain Duffy does say the department has handed out more than 10,000 distracted driving citations since March of last year, but that it doesn't seem to have had much impact given that people are still on their phones in traffic. Krista Hansen, the bike and pedestrian planner, says there has been a culture shift at the transportation department and at the city in general. She says the priorities are changing. What does that look like? The city has a few plans in the works, many of them overlapping. Right now, Hansen says they're working on a pedestrian safety action plan they intend to finish this year. And she says it's sort of a roadmap out of this continuing rise in fatalities through crash analysis, through prioritizing high crash areas, and looking for countermeasures. They're also working on a mobility master plan and all of that inside of a larger, longer-term traffic safety plan. That's a lot to work on all at once, and presumably it'll take not only time but money. Can the city get all that done? So voters approved a bond package to pay for park and connectivity projects. That includes things like bike boulevards and linking up non-vehicular infrastructure. She says they're also taking advantage of repair projects funded by a previous bond package to implement some slowing measures and add bike lanes. The city council also adopted a so-called complete streets ordinance, and that's meant to guide investment and design in the long term to improve mobility on the streets for anybody who might be using them. We know that speed is the major contributing factor in the in terms of whether someone will survive a crash and you know there's this common kind of stat that 
if someone is hit by a car driving 40 miles an hour, um, their chances of dying are eight times more than if someone was hit by a car driving 20 miles an hour. Here's U of A associate professor Arlie Adkins again. Common phrase that's used is speed did not appear to be a factor. Um, and I've been trying to get that language changed where possible because it may be correct to say that speeding was not a factor, which means you know the driver was going within the speed limit. Um, but when the speed limit's 45 miles per hour and it's late at night, just physics will tell us that speed was a factor, uh, even if the driver was not exceeding the speed limit. Speed is a more structural factor, and he says zooming out on factors like that helps avoid pointing the finger at one thing or one person. And like the example of the opioid use or the, the pedestrian who has had too much to drink, yeah, those are problems, um, but I think it's easy to blow those issues out of proportion when the problem that we have is much more systemic and um, needs to be addressed on a much more fundamental level in terms of our transportation system because we're always going to have issues like that in a society. Um, so it's how we accommodate them that matters. So by that thinking, he says, there are design-centered approaches that would be aimed at accommodating the behavior of people who use streets and intersections. And that could include people who might be high, people who might be drunk or emotional or distracted or angry or elderly or children. Both Adkins and Hansen say there are ways to slow down cars in Tucson that still get people where they need to go. One of those is something called signal optimization. So as an example, you know, if you're driving down speedway and you're having to stop at every single red light, even if the speed limit is 35, 40 miles per hour, your average speed over, you know, say three miles on speedway is nothing near that. So if we're able to invest in upgrading our signal technology so that the signals are coordinated and you're not having to stop as much, we can actually lower the travel speeds um, to you know, 30 miles per hour, which would be much safer, and still get people where they're going just as efficiently. Speed is really the, the number one enemy of pedestrian safety. That's Peter Norton, a historian and traffic expert. But if we really shouldn't mix cars with pedestrians, how is any city in the U.S. going to lower pedestrian deaths? Norton says it can be useful to go back in time to understand this problem about 100 years ago, when it was first being recognized as a problem. He says then the assumption was that the fault was the cars. After all, this machinery was the new lethal element in the mix. And in that mentality, the solution was to slow drivers down, to slow vehicles down, and to protect pedestrians' rights of access to the street because they were entitled to the full street. And that's a way of looking at the problem that has some interesting implications that are relevant today. One of them is it makes walking a lot more inviting. He says that would help address a national epidemic of health problems related to inactivity on top of the positive effect it would have on pedestrian safety. You're not going to build your way out of these problems with uh, more interstate highway lanes, more uh, major traffic lanes. Norton says instead, we should consider aiming for areas of what he calls attractive density. Basically, parts of town where people don't need a car to get around for work or for fun, shopping or daily needs. Nick, thanks so much for your reporting. Thank you. This show originally aired in November 2019. 
We wanted to get an update on where things stand now and if the city has been able to make improvements to some of those things we discussed. We checked back in with TPD Captain Diana Duffy, who was Traffic Safety Coordinator until recently. She says it's hard to compare 2020 to other years because the pandemic has changed the picture. On the pedestrian side, we're actually, we've seen a, a 22% decrease this year. Uh, last year at this time, we had 22 pedestrian fatalities, and this year we've had 16. So that area has improved, but we've seen a total different trend with COVID this year. Our motorcycle fatalities have tripled, and our vehicle fatalities, which had been down over the last several years, are up about two and a half times, uh, so about 250%. So alcohol and speed with the vehicles has become um, a trend this year, which was on a downward trend for the last few years, and then motorcycles. The speed issue, is that because fewer people are driving during the pandemic, or at least early on, and so the road's wide open and people believe the name Speedway? Right. So here's an interesting thing. We just did an update for mayor and council. Um, my, myself and I worked with transportation on an update, and, and they partner with U of A to do some studies. And they actually had um, a slide, transportation did, on a study that U of A did, and it was post-COVID. So once COVID started to hit, you started to see less traffic, yet the speed picked up on speedway, but on a roadway designed appropriately with roundabouts or a different variety of things with a lower speed limit, the speed did not increase. So I definitely think that was part of it. Um, I also think that, like I mentioned, I think there was alcohol involved and it was kind of hard to pinpoint. Sometimes we can work um, in a particular area. Say we, we notice that there's folks that are driving while intoxicated in a certain area, but when everything was shut down, they're coming from home. How about distracted driving? How much of that is going on? Has that gone up? So it's hard to measure without the citations um, in order to try and lessen our contact with the public and the spread of COVID. For a short period of time, we were only doing absolutely, you know, necessary traffic stops, speeding, endangerment, things of that nature. So I would say that, in just, and this is just me being on the streets, I would say that that's about the same. I, I Even though we've issued thousands of citations over the last few years, it just doesn't seem to lessen with some people. I know last year the department had identified some high crash corridors for targeted enforcement. Are you seeing any improvement in those areas? We did a study, and what we saw is that we didn't see a huge decrease in, in overall accidents, but in some of the areas we saw some of the fatalities drop off, and we also saw some of the injury collisions reduced in those areas. So we are going to continue um, what we call the strategic deployment missions, where we place officers in certain areas. And back then, it was de it was decided on like high crash intersections combined with pedestrian collisions. And so this year, I'm sure um, Captain Scott will change the approach and focus on obviously where the motorcycles and the vehicles and overall collisions are happening. That was TPD Captain Diana Duffy. We also checked back in with Krista Hansen, lead planner with the city's transportation and mobility department. She says the city has numerous initiatives at work to help with overall traffic safety, especially for pedestrians. And to just kind of highlight a, a few, some 
major ones are um, Move Tucson. So it's a, a initiative that we're developing a 20-year transportation plan um, that's really identifying and prioritizing transportation investments across the city and particularly focusing on safety, improving safety and comfort of people walking and biking and taking transit. We you know, adopted a complete streets policy in 2019. And through that, we've developed a design guide and plan for how, how we can accomplish um, these transportation projects and make them safe for all modes of transportation through the Parks and Connections Bond, Prop 407, we, we've now, we're finishing up the design on 25 miles of biking and walking projects, and they're all um, going to start construction in the next six months with another 25 more miles for 2021 and 2022. And so these all are um, focused on our most, you know, kind of vulnerable road users first, in which, you know, improving sidewalks and um, ADA ramps, multi-use paths, like boulevards, protected bike lanes, um, creating these low stress networks for people walking and biking. And then we've also, we've completed our pedestrian safety action plan, which has tied into the overall traffic, five-year traffic safety plan that looks at, you know, improving crossings and installing safety corridors, as well as messaging uh, around slowing down and, you know, all doing our part to improve safety on our streets. Is it too early to say on a lot of these projects, uh, data-wise, whether or not they're working? We do collect before and after data with this stuff, but we need more time to evaluate it. But it's hard to say how much even just improving people's awareness or thinking about new ways of traveling or recognizing that, you know, people are out on the street uh, using different modes, all those things can, I think, have an impact, but it's, it's, we don't have an evaluation of that. And I think a lot of these projects, it will be interesting to see over the years, once they're in place over a couple of years to see how, you know, if we can reduce speeds and reduce traffic crashes. Is there anything that the average person can do beyond the obvious of slow down and keep your eyes open for pedestrians and people on bikes and motorcycles? You know, getting in the mindset of just almost assuming that people are going to be there and assuming that people could be late for their bus and trying to um, may run across the street because there's not a controlled crossing for a half mile and they they don't want to miss their bus, you know, and, and having a little empathy of, um, you know, we're all trying to get to where we want to go safely. That was Krista Hansen with the city's transportation and mobility department. And that's the buzz for this week. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. And Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.